If you have a Bible, uh, open again at that passage where I was reading earlier from Ecclesiastes chapter 11. That would be great at this point. And on, on this Harvest Sunday, I'm, I'm just thinking, we have all had a go at growing stuff, I'm sure, at some point. Marks and Spencers were trying to encourage you to do that earlier in the lockdown season where they were giving, every time you bought something, they were giving little tiny boxes of seeds. And it was the girls in our house tried to, to have a go at growing some of those things. And, and even I was sort of lulled into a, a sense of complacency with that. And I thought it would be easy enough to do. And so I pictured uh, well manicured and uh, uh, very uh, ample uh, planters all full of vegetables and flowers and things like that. And so, well, we, we, we did plant those things. Uh, the problem was then, first of all, there was too much heat, then there was not enough heat, then there was no rain, and then there was too much rain, and then there was the weeds, and then there was the bugs. And at the end of it, we ended up maybe with about two lettuce, uh, one mini uh, contorted carrot, and a whole load of radishes, which no one even likes. I mean, what's the point of a radish? It sort of gets to the point like a, like a wasp. It's the two things in, in the creation that no one can ever imagine there's a need for. But gardening requires patience. But patience is not a thing that we have very much of from, for most of the time. Uh, when it comes to gardening, of course, I would want to have things looking well, looking wonderful, looking beautiful, and, and uh, just to have so much and to be able to enjoy all that we have, but I don't want to put the effort into making that. And it's exactly the same, I think, when it comes to our progress in the spiritual life and as how we would want to follow after God. We would desire long-term spiritual growth. We would want to, to have that experience of knowing God and just to have the depth of intimacy that's there. And we'd want that also to be quick and effortless. But the Bible does talk about patience. Now, just this morning, I'm not going to dig deeply into this passage. I'm going to look actually at two Bible verses which have just come to me this week as I have been preparing for this harvest season. Two verses which in many ways you might imagine are completely the opposite because one has to do with patience and one then has to do with activity because the first one about patience is James when he's writing. And he's writing to Christians who are anxious and worried and they've got so many worries and they, they, they're, they're waiting for Jesus to return and they're hoping that Jesus is going to make things uh, better and they'll be removed from all the, the suffering and the persecution that's around and about them. And James writes these words. He says, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. And then the picture he uses is the farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of, for the, coming of the Lord is at hand. I think that little verse has, has so much to say to us right now where we happen to be here today. While we are living 
through these very strange days with all the restrictions and all the, the, the limitations because it's really, really hard to keep on being patient. And it's also very hard to consider what it is that God might be saying to each of us through the experience that we're living through. How, how has God been speaking to you? How has God actually speaking to us as a church? What is he saying to us as a church as we would be living through these days? What is, what is God to say to us about the priorities that we would have as a congregation and about our values and what we think is really most important? Or bring that down a level to you as an individual follower of God. Can you say that over the last number of months that you have been growing in your discipleship, that you've been getting closer to God? Is your faith more vibrant? Is it more alive than it was at, at an earlier point? Certainly I as one, of course, would, would express the desire. I do want to know the blessing of God. I want to have that, that encounter with God. I'm sure you would be saying exactly the same thing, but I at the same time find it so hard to be patient waiting for God. It's hard, really hard to be patient and to see what God is teaching us, what we can learn through it. And so if patience is there in one of the verses that I'm thinking about, there's another verse, which in many ways, just because it's, it can be sitting with that and, and, and it's very clearly relevant to harvest time as well, but it's a note of activity because we're not to spend the time sitting on chairs of ease, like a sort of celestial uh, chairs, as it were, just waiting to be taken to, to heaven. God has called us to service. God has called us to witness to him. So what is God saying to, to you? What is God saying to us as a church as to how we would do that in terms of our priorities? Which is why I want to go back to that verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And it's a strange verse. I'm going to read again the, the translation that is here in the ESV. And it's verse one. And it says, cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days. Now that is peculiar. When you read that, you begin to wonder what is that actually saying? And in the course of preparing for today, I have read that verse in so many other different translations. And if you're reading one of those other translations today, like the NIV, you will note that it is written very differently. Actually, even if it even depends on which version of the NIV that you're reading from. If you've got a newer one, it will read something entirely different from an older one. And the reason there's so much difference here is because it's really, really hard to get to what the original Hebrew is saying because it's not very clear. And the root of what this verse is, is about, it's saying something about bread, it's saying something about water, and it's saying something about a reward or a return that you're gonna get from that. So let's try and work together as we're seeing what this verse might possibly mean because as you reread it, it's saying something about throwing your bread on the water, sending it out, and then getting a return. But in the main, that just doesn't make sense. 
as I've maybe thought about this verse, in some ways the, the easiest and the image that comes to mind when, when that verse is, is read is Hillsborough Lake or somewhere like that and all the kids and all the tiny uh, toddlers around this countryside and you go up at what must be, of course, be the fattest ducks in the entire countryside because every family goes to feed those ducks and every child who tears a bit of bread and throws it onto the water, they may be thinking many things, but the one thing they are not thinking about is getting a reward, a return for doing that. Because when they are throwing the bread out and it lands on the water, it immediately turns soggy and there is no way that a child will want to be eating any of that bread. So once you throw the bread on the water, the one thing that you are not expecting is any form of return. So the Bible translators have been looking at that and they say, well, it can't mean that therefore. And that's why in some of your Bible translations, if you're reading something like, send your grain, not bread, so they change that bit, and they say, send that grain in a boat out on the water. Well, that's beginning to make more sense, they'll say, because you can do that. So in that sense, the bread's going out on the water. And because you're sending that bread out, you're hoping to sell that bread. And if you sell that bread, then you're hoping to make money and then they say, that's how you're going to get a reward. So that's what it's about. But to get to that point, you've changed a lot of stuff there that's not in the text. So I think actually it is better just to think about what is actually here. That this verse is simply about bread, it's about water, and it's about finding it again. Even though that might seem a little bit ridiculous. So what we, what we are seeing here is getting an answer which is the last possible thing that you were thinking about when you did it. When you set that bread upon the water, the one thing that you certainly were never thinking about was getting a reward or finding it again. And then just reflecting on that, that so often actually that is the very thing that God does for us. That so often he gives us the very last thing that we were ever thinking about. He, he brings into our lives the very thing that actually we thought was impossible and could never, ever happen. It was the thing that we didn't even think to go looking for because it was so highly unlikely. And that's the very thing that God promises to do. And that's the amazing part actually of being a Christian, this is why I think so many of us want to be Christians and to follow God because he provides and he shows his faithfulness and he shows that time and time again, even when we don't have the faith to believe it and trust it and think about it, God does it and he's amazing and he's wonderful and therefore we trust him. So what this Bible verse is actually getting at, throwing your bread upon the water, I think, there's a sense of recklessness here. There's a sense of maybe throwing caution to the wind and of being energetic in our chasing after God. And the curious piece of advice as we throw caution to the wind is that so often God answers those prayers. God has said so often, 
mean, for instance, that famous verse in Isaiah 55, you know, my word will not return to me void, but will achieve the purpose for which I send it forth. God has a plan and God will bring about his purposes, even though we think they're way beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And I think that must be an encouragement for even each of us in church today. And as we wonder what's the purpose of church and what's going on and how are we doing it, maybe if you're involved in a particular ministry in church and you're thinking, how can I do what we used to do? And it's so hard to be able to do anything at the minute. And we might feel like giving up and saying, this is not going to work. And yet what this verse is saying is that we, there's a sense of activity and a sense of just trusting God and just leaving it with him and going and chasing after him. Or it may be a family member that you're concerned about and you, and you, you use every opportunity that you possibly can to speak to them about Jesus. You want them to know Jesus as you know Jesus. You want them to find that and you feel like giving up and you say, it's not going to do, it's not going to work. They don't seem to listen to this. And yet what this verse is saying is cast your bread upon the waters and after many days, you will find it. And so the people that we have been praying for, even the ones we thought it was highly improbable, we find that actually God is working. This preacher, Ecclesiastes here, the preacher's advice I think is worth following, particularly in view of the adventuresome nature of this verse. That maybe we, even as a church, need to think about how we can be adventuresome energetic, proactive, sharing the gospel even in these days. And I think that's a word. If you're one of the leaders in our church, if you're on the, the session, uh, and as we're thinking, as we have been doing, thinking about what the direction for our church is over the next little while, what can we be doing to make sure that the work of the Lord is prospering here in this place? We need to let Words like this sink into our heart that we cast the bread upon the waters and after many days you will find it again because this and this alone is our confidence for the future. It's not on how we plan or how we think, but it's how we are trusting God. And as one commentator on, on this passage was saying, this is the idea of just throwing it away and, and sending it out there. He says, you know, when it comes to bread, don't stick it in a deep freeze, it'll only dry out. Don't put it into a larder, it'll only go moldy. It's the idea is that we must continually keep sending this bread out, this word of God out into the world. And even that idea of not hoarding it. When I think of not hoarding it, the image that does come into my head is something that might be in the bottom of a school bag. You send a kid out to school and you have a nicely prepared sandwich or an apple or, some, or a banana, something like that, and you send them out on a Friday, and then they come back on the Friday and it's not eaten, the bag is thrown into a corner in their bedroom and you don't see it till Monday. It's even worse if it happens over a period of holiday and they don't go back to that place for maybe two weeks. And then you look at the bottom of the bag and what you see in the bottom of the bag is more like a science experiment. There's no point holding on to these things. You, you, you throw it away. And so when we come to God and as we're trusting God, and it's not simply about finances and things like that. You know, it's, it's who we are as a church. 
and, and how we want to share the message and the love of Jesus Christ, not only in our church, but through our church, into our community and outside. And so as I reread this verse, cast your bread upon the water, there is a sense of extravagance and that we don't shy away just because other people might think we're getting a little bit too carried away with God and uh, what it means to us. But I wonder today then what does it actually mean for you? When you read that verse and you think about that verse and you hear this call about what it says to trust God and to be extravagant with our faith and to share that with others and not to hold back, what does it actually say to you? As we launch out, do something new, try something different, because life is full of opportunities. We just need to find what those opportunities actually are. And I challenge myself with that because I would say the easiest thing in the world is just to sit back, sit this one out, not do very much and we'll get through it. But I don't think that's what this verse is actually saying. And certainly our leadership, our session have been wrestling through with this in recent times. I'm wondering what is it that God is saying to us right now. So we've been thinking about that as a church, but what does that mean for you as an individual? What does it mean for you as an individual as you would take the, the lesson of this verse? You remember, in, possibly in Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, talk, Brutus talks to Cassius and he says, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. Omit it, all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and miseries. You know, the waves on the sea of life, if we have that image, some of those waves don't come that often, at least the ones that are significant enough to wash you off your feet. Many of you here are a lot older than me, so you will know even more than I know that those things don't happen that often. And as we sit, and as we sit analyzing and thinking, and really that's what the rest of this writer in Ecclesiastes is about when he talks here about where the tree falls, there, there it sits. There's a, there's a tendency that we could just sit this out. And we can be in some ways paralyzed also by fear in and through these things. I want to challenge you today to make God the priority in your life so that following God, knowing Jesus, that's the most significant thing. And of course, it will impact you. Even during a time of covid Perhaps we should say, especially during a time of COVID and all the restrictions we see around us. And actually, Paul, when he's writing in the New Testament, the reason he gives for having confidence in God is the resurrection itself. In 1 Corinthians 15, he starts off by, by saying, you know, if there is no such thing as the resurrection, what he says is this. 1 Corinthians 15, 38, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die because there is no purpose. But he goes on in that chapter and he says, but there is such a thing as the resurrection. Therefore, in verse 58, he says, therefore, 
we will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your, your labor is not in vain. You see, death followed by rotting in the grave means that nothing is meaningful. But death followed by judgment means that everything that we do is meaningful. And today I simply want to encourage you to take your delight in God, to see following God the highest duty in your life, to glimpse the glory of God in, in, in splendor and its majesty and those vibrant shades. And it's only as we genuinely, truly surrender to God that we see purpose and we see value. And maybe that's what you're thinking about right now. And maybe you've been keeping God at a relative safe distance and that's something that you see that other people do, but that you have not reached that point where you yourself says, this is what I must do because God has made himself real and God is calling me now to himself. And the only thing that I can do is to say, yes, Jesus. I have to admit that this is what I need. And this will give purpose and value to my life. And I will delight in the joy that's in the gospel. Let's pray. Our Lord, may your word reach into our hearts. See the power of your truth as it challenges us, as it prods us and pushes us. And Lord, as we pray that we might see Jesus, may we also know what Jesus is saying to us today. Amen.